Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, welcome to Weird House Cinema. This is Rob Lamb. And I'm Joe McCormick. So last year, around this time, we watched the highly influential Chinese supernatural horror comedy, Mr. Vampire, from 1985. So we're returning once more to the genre with another important 80s Hong Kong film, uh, this time with romance thrown in amid all the martial arts, spookiness, and comedy. It's 1987's A Chinese Ghost Story. This was a great movie. I, I was surprised how much I loved this one. And uh, much like The Lorelei's Grasp, this is another monster romance movie. Except <laughs> in this one, the romance is perhaps not as tragic and doomed as usual. It, it basically has a happy ending. Yeah, yeah, it does. When we, when we were looking for a, a film to follow up Mr. Vampire here, uh, I was looking at this, and we were also looking at um, uh, Encounters of the Spooky Kind, which is another big film in this this area, uh, ended up moving towards this one after we watched the trailer. Uh, there are a number of, of amazing elements to it, uh, though we may get back to spooky encounters in the future. You know, much like Mr. Vampire, this movie also has just a rad butt-whipping Taoist priest. Yep. <laughs> but unlike Mr. Vampire, the Taoist priest in this movie has a musical number and it is a rap about the Tao. I'm not yes. kidding. 
Yeah, I, I thought you were talking about another scene and exaggerating a bit when you texted me about this because you you were watching the second half of the movie before I did, and uh, no, there's it's 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 as close to a full on rap as you could possibly expect in an eighties period piece Chinese supernatural romance comedy. <laughs> and it's the only musical number in the movie. I mean, the movie has songs in it that have like mm. lyrics, but they're not sung by the characters. This is the only song I think in the entire runtime that a character on screen sings. Aside from one little song that our, our lead character sort of sings kind of a whistling in the dark sequence as he's running through the woods and trying to keep himself from being completely terrified by all yeah. the wolves and ghosts that are about. I carry the six classics in my heart. That, yeah. That thing. Yeah. Well, okay. What's the elevator pitch on this one? The elevator pitch is pretty simple. Life is tough when you're an impoverished scholar with impossible dreams. And also when you have a ghost for a girlfriend. Ooh, yeah, it's rough. Uh, I like how you picked up on direct uh, lyrics from those songs that, that play in the background. <laughs> that's not from the Dow rap. That's from... Uh, there's like a recurring sort of uh, lyrical motif about how you must pursue impossible dreams passionately. Yeah. <laughs> now, uh, one thing we will drive home here is that the version we watched, which was as of this recording, streaming on Amazon Prime, is uh, is in Cantonese with subtitles, uh, and the subtitles were were at least good enough. But there were some uh, obvious errors here and there, as well as sort of the, the traditional thing you might run into with subtitles where you might question whether this was the most elegant translation possible. And also you get into the issue of, okay, what is this comedic line actually translating through? Uh, most of the time it doesn't matter. Most of the comedy in this film uh, shines right through the barrier of language. Oh, yeah. I found it extremely funny. I think the comedy totally works uh, across culturally. But, uh, yeah, the, so... What I would say is that this, the subtitles in this movie seemed wrong in a way that had nothing to do with translation errors. Like there mm. were a lot of errors that look like the kind you get from scanning in a printed document into digital text, where thing, things like lowercase o's and a's being exchanged for one another. So I remember yeah. one line in the subtitle said, evil will never overcame goad. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm curious what process led to this. Could it be, could somehow there, there be a, a scanning of a paper document to create the English subtitles? I don't know. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go ahead and hear at least some of the trailer. We probably won't play the entire trailer this time, uh, but it'll give you just a taste of the, the sonic world of this film. <laughs> All right, that, but of course, that can only partially prepare you for the sights uh, and the sequences because this is uh, this is a really fun film with a tremendous flair for the fa fantastic, uh, some great martial arts sequences, some solid slapstick. Uh, it has just about everything you could want. So I've read that this movie actually has sort of a, a cult following among young people in mainland China, even though it was not released in theaters in mainland China when it first came out. Yeah, yeah, you sent me a, a paper uh, about this. I was looking at that, and uh, yeah, it's it, it's interesting. This one, this one's one that definitely pops up in Michael Weldon's books here in the West, 
mm-hmm. psychotronic film guides uh, where he was a big fan of it and was like, yes, go out and see this film. So it sounds like it's, it's a film that uh, yeah, may, maybe didn't get released the way they might have wanted to release it uh, initially in mainland China, but subsequently uh, the seeds grew in both uh, uh, the East and the West with people coming to appreciate all the things this film has to offer. I think there's a lot about it that's more subtle than you might expect. Like this movie mm-hmm. is uh is tonally weird, but in a very nice way. Like it's uh it it walks this strange boundary between uh being earnest almost to the point of being sappy, but also yeah. being very ironic and and sort of making a mockery of authority and tradition at the same time. Yeah, yeah, it is a a, a nice balance. Like it there, there's there's definitely slapstick, and there are definitely some just outrageous comedic performances sprinkled here and there. But it's done in a way where, where, where yeah, like the, the parts that are serious and the parts that are romantic, uh, uh, they're they're allowed room to breathe and, and feel authentic. Yeah, this is this is not a movie that is uh, sucking up to the powerful. It's like it's full of bosses, policemen, magistrates. Basically, anybody in a position of authority in this movie is viciously mocked. Yeah, so you can see how it, it, it would appeal to, to to the young people, and we'll get into some of the examples of the of this in a bit. Because yeah, there 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 are numerous uh, terrible uh, mortal authorities, uh, and uh, you know I guess the the uh, the supernatural authorities are pretty corrupt as well. All right, well, let's talk about some of the people involved in this because it does have some interesting connections, and uh, and it is a it is a pretty big film. Like a lot of the people involved in this uh, were names at the time, or certainly went on to become big names in Hong Kong cinema and and or international cinema. So first of all, let's start with the director. This is uh, Su Tong Ching, born nineteen fifty three. Uh, also one of the martial arts directors on the film, uh, Hong Kong action choreographer, actor, film director, and producer, probably best known for this film, but he also directed such movies as 1986's Witch from Nepal, a supernatural film starring Chow Yun-fat, mm-hmm. 1993's The Mad Monk starring Stephen Chow, 1998's An Empress and the Warrior starring Donnie Yen, and 2011's The Sorcerer and the White Snake starring Jet Li. So clearly, he's worked with some of the biggest names in Chinese cinema at different points in their career. Wait, I thought I saw maybe, did Su Tung Ching also do Hero, the Jet Li movie? I think he was an action coordinator on that one, yeah. Uh, because oh, he also, I see. Yeah, because yeah, there are yeah. a number of credits that he has that are pretty impressive that um, in which he didn't direct them, but he was involved in choreographing the martial arts. Um, because he, he's a guy, who, his father was actually a Shaw Brothers studio director, and, uh, and so he kind of like came up in the, the system, I'm to understand. Uh, so yeah, he, he even his just stunt directing credits are pretty uh, pretty interesting. So you have 2002's Hero, and according to IMDb, he was an uncredited stunt coordinator on 2002 Spider-Man, the Sam Raimi film. Um, I'm not sure if IMDb is 100% accurate on that count, though. You're right. I, I just double checked. He did not direct Hero. He did uh, action choreography, and also for uh, also did action choreography for House of Flying Daggers. Oh, oh yeah, that's a solid one too. So you know, big name this guy. He has at least one American film, though, or a film with a notable American presence, and that is 2003's Belly of the Beast, starring Steven Seagal. It is almost, it almost makes me want to scream imagining (laughs) someone of the talents of Su Tung Ching being wasted on a vehicle for Steven Seagal. Yeah, you pulled up a a clip of this, um, an action sequence from this film, which, I mean, as far as action sequence goes, is not bad, but... The, you know, the, uh, it's I not mean, great. <laughs> it's not great, but the, there's the Steven Seagal presence 
is almost too distracting because yeah. it's uh, in this film. I think he's playing uh, this, this, the, the basic the basic Steven Seagal character, where he's he's a CIA agent, but he's also a Buddhist master, uh, <laughs> and he's really great with martial arts, also guns. Uh, like that's that's most Steven Seagal roles, if not all of them. Uh, he's ex Black Ops. I'm retired now. <laughs> and there's we need a- you back for one more job. <laughs> There's an IMDb trivia piece about that film, Belly of the Beast, which says that uh, that basically they shot everything without Steven Seagal, um, and then we're just going to bring him in at the very end to do his shots, a lot of close-up shots and all that sort of thing, which uh, I guess you could interpret, interpret one of two ways, right? Either, A, Steven Seagal has a busy schedule or is expensive. You're only going to have him for a short, short amount of time. I know sometimes it's been said that he doesn't like actually work very long during a given shoot. Uh, Mm -hmm. so, you know, they're just being economic about the whole thing, or perhaps there was a certain reputation in place and they thought, well, we need to be prepared to use as little Steven Seagal as necessary. And according to this bit of IMDb trivia, if it is accurate, is like he showed up this last day, everything else has been shot. They just need to shoot some scenes so that they can insert Seagal in uh, you know, the rest of the stuff has been done with stunt doubles. But he had ideas about how things needed to be shot that, of course, would just wreck everything else. So mm-hmm. Ching says, okay, that's fine. You can just, you can shoot it yourself. We'll leave. And we uh, had <laughs> kind of like a standoff and a studio put enough pressure on him that he, he was like, okay, I'll, I'll go along with this. And so the film was actually finished. That's a, that's a heck of a bluff. You deal with somebody who you know is an egomaniac, but is also lazy. And so <laughs> you're hoping the latter will win out over the former. But to be, to be clear, I have not seen Belly of the Beast in its entirety. So uh, I don't know. If you, if you have out there, if any of you are Steven Seagal's connoisseurs, feel free to correct us on the quality of this motion picture. Uh, you know, my feeling is Steven Seagal is, uh, you know, you know, you always know what you're getting with that. So really the quality of one of his movies has to do with how zany is whoever they cast as the main villain. And so like you can really achieve a certain peaks of, uh, of, of greatness in like under siege to dark territory, just because, uh, because uh, Eric Bogosian is, oh, yeah. is going, going crazy on the computer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I remember enjoying that one way back in the day when I saw it on VHS or something. It's still pretty hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, let's get into the writing on this one. This is this because this is pretty interesting. First of all, the screenplay was written by Kai Chi Yoon. Dates unknown, or at least I wasn't able to pull them up, but he was seemingly active 83 through 2020, so may still be active. Uh, a screenwriter who went on to work on 1994's The Legend of Drunken Master and 1991's Once Upon a Time in China and also 2020's The Enchanting Phantom, which seems to feature, uh, like this film, a scholar who falls in love with a ghost. Uh, as, as we'll discuss, like this, uh, there have been multiple adaptations of the source material here. Oh, right. So, yeah, I wasn't aware of this when I, uh, when I was first looking at the movie, but you told me this is based on a story by Pusong Ling from the uh, original the Tales from a Chinese Studio. It is, yeah. So, Pusong Ling, who we've discussed on the show before, both, I think, Weird House and Stuff to Blow Your Mind, uh, was a Qing Dynasty writer who lived 1640 through 1715, and he mostly worked as a tutor during his own lifetime, but along the way, he collected and wrote down a number of weird stories that he heard and he picked up. And a lot of these stories, 
that were later published after his death as strange stories or strange tales from a Chinese studio in 1740, a lot of them have that air to them uh, where he'll be writing and he'll say, uh, so-and-so told me this tale. I heard this tale from such and such. Uh, uh, So-and-so swore that this was the truth and, and, uh, and the like. Every time I've read one of these stories, I find it very exciting because they um, they don't usually conform to like the standard narrative structure that you expect from uh, like Western fairy tales. They get, they're just full of surprises, at least mm-hmm. to me. I, I don't know if you um, are more familiar with with uh, Chinese traditional stories if the the structures are more predictable, but at least to me, every one's just full of surprises. Yeah, they they vary tremendously. Some of them are are scary. Some of them are are funny. Uh, some of them are both. There, there are at least a few that are a little bit body. Um, there's uh, there are some that are essentially like, hey, this weird thing happened. How about that? Uh, that's the whole story. They just kind of abruptly end. Like there was, there's one where it's like there's this uh, old guy that would travel around, and he had these mice in his backpack. I think they were mice. Uh, and they would come out and basically do like a flea circus. They would do like mm-hmm. a little circus and perform, and then he would carry on his way. And there's no story. It's just a a small tale of wonder or an account of something marvelous that was experienced or seen. Now, from what I gather, the main elements of the Pusong Ling story are carried over into the the movie, but it's probably worth discussing the differences because from what I understand, the Pusong Ling story is not quite as sweet as the movie is. It's well, there's, I guess there's less room for sweetness in it, but it's not, yeah. I guess, unsweet. <laughs> it's, well, uh, I just so, remember something about the scholars like already married when he meets the ghost woman and he has to wait for his wife to die or something. Yeah, well, but he's, he's very polite about it. So, yeah, the original okay. <laughs> story uh, is sometimes titled The Magic Sword or The Magic Sword and the Magic Bag. That's the title in the uh, the Penguin edition uh, uh. Of, uh, of Strange Tales, which is definitely worth picking up, picking up and has some nice notes on it. Um, but uh, the basic bones of the movie are present in that story. A traveling scholar is too poor to stay in town, so he goes out to an old temple to, to sleep, and he encounters both a magical swordsman and a ghost who reveals that she haunts the temple due to improper burial and is and has been forced to do the bidding of a yaksha demon that's sort of like a, a corrupt, in this case, a corrupt nature spirit, a malevolent nature spirit, uh, though I don't think all yakshas are, are necessarily malevolent. Um, the magic sword in question is a miniature sword that gives the swordsman his power, and he also has a bag, uh, the magic bag from the title, which uh, he gives to the scholar, and we later find, find out that this was the swordsman's head bag. And uh, so, yeah, he ends up uh, falling in love with this ghost woman. Uh, uh, he digs up her grave, uh, takes her remains home to his own home, uh, buries them there, and in, as, a, as a way of thanking him, she says, well, why don't I be a servant here? And, uh, and he's like, yes, that, that, that would be great. So she's a servant. Then eventually his wife dies of consumption, or it's translated as consumption in, in the version I read. And at that point, he marries her. Uh, they have a child. Uh, he also gets a concubine and has a child through the concubine. Uh, these are the details mm-hmm. that, were, uh, that are given. But then she also has another child. So, you know, it's essentially a happy ending, especially as far as tales about marrying a spirit or, or a fox spirit or a ghost or something. A lot of times there's a, there's a twist at the end uh, yeah. that's there to get you. So as, as far as those sorts of stories go, uh, I'd say it's a happy ending. Yeah. Why don't you take that ribbon off your neck kind of twists? Yeah, exactly. 
Anyway, it's a fun story. Sometimes you'll, I think on IMDb in some places you'll see it credited as a novel. Uh, it's not a novel. It's it's like a 10-minute read, if that. Well, I, sh- I should go read it. I, I have enjoyed literally every Pusong Ling story I've read. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. Rob, as the uh, the local host with allergies here, they sent you some of their nasal spray to treat your allergies. What was your experience like? Yeah, that's right. I always wrestle with the pollen a bit when it rolls in during the spring. So they sent me the little uh, nasal spray. I tried out the product and yeah, it sure did help me get on top of my symptoms for the day. And it's so fast acting. uh, It was already kicking in before I left the house. Astapro is a first-of-its-kind nasal allergy spray. It's the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes, while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. Astapro delivers full prescription-strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can get Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Astapro and go. Use this directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. If you haven't heard of Visible, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon, just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. Having a one-line plan means you only need you to save. No estranged roommates, exes, cousins twice removed, or AI-powered humanoid robots needed. And because $25 a month really means $25 a month, you can call, text, stream, whatever, as much as you want without worrying about getting dinged at the end of the month. No hidden fees, no surprises. No, really. It's like the old saying goes, you can't judge a book by its cover, but you can judge a company by its name. So spread the word. Tell all your friends there's a wireless company out there with transparency in their name, and they're called Visible. Start saving on wireless today at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Today's episode is brought to you by eBay. eBay Motors is here for the ride. 
Remember when you first saw the potential, and then, through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed a hundred thousand miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, let's get into the cast a little bit. Uh, at the top of this, playing our impoverished scholar with impossible dreams, it's Leslie Chung playing uh, the scholar Ling Choi San. So Leslie Chung was born 1956, died in 2003. Uh, he was a huge star of music and was uh, apparently a, a canto pop pioneer. So that's uh, like, like Chinese Hong Kong pop music of, of the time. Um, I believe his first album came out in 1978, and he started appearing in films that same year. Uh, he was especially big in the um, uh, in, in the 80s, noted, noted for his androgynous style. After immigrating to Canada in the 1990s, he uh, famously came out as bisexual in Time magazine, a Time magazine interview, which was quite a move at the time, uh, in, you know, especially in the, within the Chinese film industry. Mm-hmm. Now, this is a fun fact. He chose the Leslie moniker. You often see this, especially with Hong Kong actors. You know, they'll choose sort of, sort of a Western uh, first name. Uh, he chose Leslie. Uh, as a tribute to the British actor Leslie Howard, who's probably best remembered in general for being uh, the, you know, the star of such films as 1938's Pygmalion, uh, for appearing in Gone with the Wind. But mm-hmm. I, I imagine you and I probably know him best from the, uh, the, I think, in my opinion, pretty excellent 1936 film, The Petrified Forest. Oh, who was he in that? Uh, he's the he's the lead. Well, he's actually a traveling scholar in that. Um, oh, okay. Uh, Leslie Howard is the the, the the he's been traveling across. He's the British character. Yeah, okay. I thought I'd like the, to see the Pacific Ocean, perhaps during yeah, that, night. Yeah. That, that one. Yeah. So he's he's the the star opposite Betty Davis. Okay. As soon as you said that, it makes it. I can hear his voice. That, yeah. But this is also the guy who played like Ashley Wilkes and in, in Gone with the Wind and on all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of kind of classic looking, uh, dry, handsome dude. Yeah. Now, Leslie Chung uh, sadly took his own life in 2003, and the 2011 remake of A Chinese Ghost Story was dedicated to his memory. But he left behind a pretty extensive filmography, including uh, Days of Being Wild, Ashes of Time, and Nomad, a lot of uh, you know, serious dramas. Uh, so this one, I'm, I'm not an expert on his filmography, but I, I get the feeling like this is kind of a, more of a standout in that it's an action comedy because it seems like most of the films he's really well known for are serious dramas, including two key Chinese uh, LGBTQ films of the era, Farewell My Concubine and 1997's Happy Together. His co-star in that film was Tony Leung, another huge name in, in Chinese cinema, who many of you may know from uh, In the Mood for, for Love, Internal Affairs, The Grand Master, and most recently, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, in which he played the title character's father, which is a really great role in that movie, in my opinion. Great Marvel movie, perhaps my favorite Marvel movie that's come out. 
Well, I, I think Leslie Chung is excellent in this movie. And I mm-hmm. can see that he wouldn't have normally been in um, in like action or horror-related movies. Because he's uh, he is the hero of this film, but he's not an action hero. Like, he doesn't do a lot of physical fighting. He, he really only has a, a few moments of physical heroism. Mostly, he's, he's a hero by being a sort of meek nerd who finds courage by falling in love. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, you're not going to see him do huge action sequences. We have other characters to do those scenes. Yes. All right. Well, let's let's mention his romantic interest, our our lady ghost. Uh, This is uh, this is the the character uh, Susan, played by Joey Wang, born 1967. She's great too. I'd say the whole main cast, the three main characters of this movie, all three are fantastic. Yeah, and I think one of the great things about Joey Wang in this is that you might expect a character like this, who, again, is a, a ghost woman in a Chinese period piece, essentially. You could expect this to be, be very one-note, very passive in many ways. And we, we do see some other examples of female ghosts that very much match that template. But, uh, but she, in this, she, I mean, she's delightful and funny. Um, you know, she's being ghostly and haunting and sort of distant as needed. Uh, but throughout it, she's also just, you can see the charisma shining through. Oh, yeah. And the, the scenes where she's supposed to be scary, she is pretty creepy. Yeah. So she was active in film through from 1983 through 2004, probably best known for this film. But she was also in it, two of its sequels. Uh, maybe these were the only two sequels. There was Chinese Ghost Story 2 and 3. She was in God of Gamblers, which I'll mention again in a minute, and also various supernatural films, including The Beheaded 1000 and 1992's The Painted Skin, which is also based on a story recorded by Pu Song Ling. So you mentioned the Chinese ghost story has two sequels at least. Do you know anything about these? Are they supposed to I be I know good? that some of the same characters come back, if not all the same characters. Like a, yeah. It, it, so um, beyond that, I'm not sure. But I think uh, the at least the first sequel is, is also streaming on Prime, if, if not the third one as well. Oh, same director, I believe, as well. Yeah. All right. Now it's time for to discuss our swordsman. Uh, swordsman Yin, played by Wu Ma who lived 1942 through 2014. This is our uh, irreverent, wisecracking, tough Taoist priest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, he's, he's amazing. Uh, the, the actor here, Ma, he appeared in Writing Wrongs, The Dead and the Deadly, Iron Monkey 2, Once Upon a Time in China. He was also in at least the first sequel, Chinese Ghost Story 2. And this is fun. He was the rice seller in Mr. Vampire. Do you remember this role? Yes. There's a scene in Mr. Vampire where to repel the evil spirits, they have to use glutinous rice. Uh, and apparently <laughs> other types of rice will not do. So they're going to get the sticky rice and uh, and the rice seller corruptly is trying to mix in some plain rice with the sticky rice to, to pull one over on the, the kid they send to buy the stuff. And <laughs> I think this has disastrous consequences. You, this is fun because it reminds me of a line that Swordsman Yen has later on in the film where he, he's getting very emotional about the fact that in the spirit world, everything's black and white. You know exactly yes. what side they stand on. But in the human realm, everything's complex. Everything's potentially corrupted. So even though in the, when you're dealing with the spirit world, you know exactly what sort of rice you need. You know, you, you, you know <laughs> yeah. which side of, of ordering chaos everyone stands on. But the human realm, who knows? The, the rice seller might give you what you're paying for, or he might be cheating you. This is a great point and something I wanted to come back to. I would say this seems to be a major theme of the movie, like the the mm-hmm. part where um, 
so Swordsman Yen g- gives this speech about how he was he once a magistrate. Did they say that he was like a judge yeah, or yeah, a magistrate? He was, he was a judge or something. Yeah, yeah. And so he was a judge, uh, but he said he he became um, sick of that job because you know there was all this ambiguity and people were always lying and you could never know what's true. Mm-hmm. So instead, he gave that up to go like kill ghosts because there you always know what's right and wrong. You never yeah. have to wonder if you did the right thing. <laughs> No, I don't know if that's something that you can really live by because, of course, you know, people, we do have to make judgments all the time in uh, situations where the facts are ambiguous. But uh, it, it's interesting that this is expressed and sort of related to a couple of other things that come up in the movie, like the the questions about um, – uh, uh, you know, should, who, what is scarier, mortals or ghosts? This this mm-hmm. comes up a few times. I, th- I think there's some kind of thread running through the movie about how, I don't know, maybe the most um, treachery or danger is not always in the place you would expect it to be. Yeah, absolutely. Now, uh, Wu Ma, I should also note, uh, he, has, um, uh, he, he has numerous other roles. I think he has something like 294 acting credits on IMDb, so I'm probably missing something else that stands out. But he also has 43 direct- directorial credits, including The Chinese Ghostbuster and My Cousin the Ghost, uh, so I guess it it goes for for any film scene that once you've been a part of a successful genre film, that genre or subgenre kind of becomes a part of you, at, at least professionally speaking. You know, you know those stories about uh, certain big Hollywood celebrities have, who have their own like script doctors or agents who go through mm-hmm. any script, uh, you know, to like make sure that it's more. It has lines that are sort of tailored to their personality. Yeah, um, I, I imagine that Wu Ma has got to have a situation like that where, like, anytime he takes a role, they got to work a, a rap about the Dow in there because once <laughs> you've done that, you can't go back. It's like that's that's got to be what people are looking for every time. Exactly. <laughs> Now, they're, uh, th- those are the three main actors in the film, but there are some other uh, performances of note. I'm going to mention them uh, a little more briefly, but we have uh, Y. Lam playing uh, Swordsman Howe. Uh, date's unknown, but this guy, I believe, is still active. This is a brash swordsman that's encountered early in the picture. F- fun role. Um, this guy's been in a lot of stuff over the years, including 1983's The Boxer's Omen. This is a Shaw Brothers picture that's often held up as a prime example of a, of a psychotronic film. It has a lot of really, you know, kind of psychedelic imagery in it. Uh, mm. So uh, he's, he's fun in this. Stern character while he lasts. Uh, he's on the original Chinese poster, so I guess he's worth mentioning here, though he doesn't really factor into the plot all that much. Yeah, he, he dies, I think, like 15 minutes into the movie, but he's very cool looking. So Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You got to put him on the poster. We also have Su Ming Lao, born 1931, who plays the Tree Demon, uh, one of our main antagonists. He uh, was also in a bunch of uh, films, including other Chinese ghost story movies. I think that's in the same character role, uh, as well as a couple of big Jackie Chan movies. He was in The Legend of Drunken Master and The Medallion. Hmm. Uh, then this this last acting credit I'm going to mention is just it's a small, outrageously over the top role. A crooked magistrate, a crooked judge. <laughs> um, it doesn't have a name, um, uh, but just just so over the top. Played by this actor Jing Wong, born 1955. And it's worth calling out because Jing Wong himself is a huge name in Hong Kong cinema, with over a hundred producing and directing credits across multiple genres, including the gambling genre, which I've, I've read is one of his specialties. So he he's mm. responsible for that film God of Gamblers that I mentioned earlier, and he was apparently especially a big deal, big money maker in the 1990s. He he is funny in this, but it's not dry humor. He is no. like over the. He's like Jim carrying it up, you know, full oh, yeah. body 
uh, just like wet, wet acting. And basically every line in his scene is him demanding a bribe from someone. Yeah. It's one of these roles where, yeah, it's just how, how over the top and how corrupt could we have a portrayal of a, of a local magistrate and let's just have him say all the quiet, quiet things out loud, just blatantly talking about being lazy and wishing that we could just get a bribe and finish this early. Uh, Uh It's, 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 it's fun, but it is, it's the the hammiest part of the film. It's like, should I have you beaten and then demand a bribe or should I demand a bribe (laughs) and then have you beaten? (laughs) Exactly. All right, and uh, finally, the music on this one, it's credited to Romeo Diaz and James Wong. Uh, James Wong lived 1940 through 2004, and uh, uh, he's of particular note here because not only did he score a bunch of films, he also was a cantopop lyricist and songwriter, and he acted in a bunch of films, including Iron Monkey. Um, the music in this, I actually quite enjoyed, uh, I, I would have to say. There are maybe a few cheesy parts here and there, mm-hmm. but... It has kind of this blending of a little bit of synth, but also you know, traditional music to invoke a dramatic historical Chinese cinema feel. Yeah, I don't know what the term for this is. This might be technically like a subgenre of cantopop, but it's, uh, yeah, it's a type of Chinese popular music that has kind of uh, like a, a lyrical ballad quality, uh, very, very broad uh, themes about love and dreams and stuff and then like a flute in the background yeah uh if there are any canto pop fans out there uh, feel free to write in we'd love to hear your thoughts on uh, these names that we've uh, referenced regarding canto pop please today's episode is brought to you by technically speaking an intel podcast when you think about the future what kind of technology do you envision Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. If you haven't heard of Visible, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon, just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. Having a one-line plan means you only need you to save. No estranged roommates, exes, cousins twice removed, or AI-powered humanoid robots needed. And because $25 a month really means $25 a month, you can call, text, stream, whatever, as much as you want without worrying about getting dinged at the end of the month. No hidden fees, no surprises. No, really. It's like the old saying goes, you can't judge a book by its cover, but you can judge a company by its name. So spread the word. Tell all your friends there's a wireless company out there with transparency in their name, and they're called Visible. Start saving on wireless today at Visible.com. 
Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Today's episode is brought to you by eBay. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then, through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers... Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. All right, well, shall we get into the plot of this one a bit? All right, well, uh, so... This movie begins with our uh, our hero, a, a good-natured young scholar and debt collector. And I'm a little curious about the historical notes. Like, is it common for a young scholar to also be a debt collector? Or is that a strange pairing? I, I wasn't sure. Hmm. But this is Master Ling Choi San. And I would, I, I think I already said this, but I would describe Ling as in many ways kind of your classic film nerd hero. He is initially timid. He's meek, frail, unlucky. But he's also kind-hearted, and uh, through falling in love, he discovers an inner courage that he never knew he possessed before. And that's sort of uh, the, the arc of his heroism. But he, he acquires uh, friends along the way who will sort of complement his abilities when they, when they face the big demons at the end. Young scholars like this are pretty much doomed to be seduced by ghosts or fox spirits in tales like this. Uh, and, and I guess that, I guess that trope kind of transcends Chinese tales in general. You know, you're probably having lonely scholars in various cultures writing fictional tales about lonely scholars being seduced by, um, um, you know, invisible uh, lovers and so forth. So anyway, at the outset of the story, Master Ling is roaming through the countryside. He's on a journey. He seems to be headed for a particular town on a mission to collect debts for his boss. I've also seen him described in some sources as a tax collector, though uh, the movie makes it seem more like he's 
supposed to be working from a ledger of private debts. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe there's some overlap of these things w- within the historical setting. I'm not sure. Yeah, like there's that one scene where, uh, well, I guess we'll probably describe it in a bit here, where something happens to the tax ledger and mm-hmm. the individual he's visiting is like, oh, well, I don't owe you anything now then. Get yes. out of here. And yeah. it, uh, granted, this is a broad comedy, <laughs> but one wonders if that is the response you would have towards um, uh, d- 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 uh, towards uh, you know the state debt versus um, private debt at this time. Right. Um so anyway, we watch young Master Ling. He's sort of traveling around the forests and the byways. And uh, the movie's weird sense of humor immediately comes through, even in this opening montage, because there's a part where we see Ling sit down to eat lunch, I think. And um, when he tries to bite into something, is this a piece of bread? It's some kind of food. It might be a roll or something. Mm-hmm, um, a bun, I'm guessing, yeah. Yeah, and he, he bites into it, and it's too hard for his teeth to pierce. Like, he almost cracks a tooth on it. And then he bashes the bread against a rock, and the rock cracks in half. <laughs> and then he kicks the bread in frustration, and it punches a hole in his shoe. And we see his toe poking out. <laughs> All of this stuff here, it has this kind of almost silent era, like Buster Keaton or, yes. or Charlie Chaplin kind of vibe to it. Totally, yeah, like uh, like uh, Modern Times or The Kids. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and the whole time there is this this sentimental song playing about how you must pursue beautiful impossible dreams though clearly he's just having problems with just mundane aspirations like can i have shoes without holes in them can i have an umbrella that's not already shredded that sort of thing yeah is collecting debts in rural townships his impossible dream i don't think so (laughs) But Ling, he gets lost because uh, he doesn't. He reads a sign that's like the town is three miles south, but then he's like, which way is south? And his compass needle is just spinning wildly all over the place. And mm-hmm. he gets caught in a storm and he tries to open his umbrella and it's riven with holes. <laughs> so he's just having a bad, bad day. And he eventually takes shelter under an abandoned pavilion. And uh, let's see, at this point, suddenly, oh, uh, this is a, a swordsman runs up. Uh, you hear somebody saying, don't run away. And uh, I think this is the first instance of a theme repeated for comedy throughout the movie, which is people shouting, don't run or don't go. Yeah. Which is later, uh, well, we can save the Keystone Cops thing until we get to the town. But yeah, it'll be a common thing that the police respond to uh, once yeah. we get into <laughs> town. Um, and, uh, so it, it, there's a swordsman chasing down a bunch of thieves and he chases them to right in front of the little hut where, uh, master Ling is hanging out and he, and then master Ling just stands there. So he, he catches them, he beats them up. And then the last thief there says to the swordsman, please, sir, forgive us. I'll return your money to you. And Ling is just standing there frozen in fear, watching the swordsman execute the thieves who stole from him. Yeah, their heads top toppling through the air. It's wonderful. Yeah. yeah, heads are rolling. And then when the swordsman slashes the very last guy, it squirts blood directly into <laughs> Ling's mouth. Yeah. He's like, ugh. <laughs> and he's just, yeah, just horrified. Uh, so he's standing there terrified, and and then there's a moment where the swordsman seems to take pity on Ling. He tosses him a bun. It's a soft mm-hmm. bun this time. Uh, and he, he kind of makes this face that I took a screen grab of for you to see, Rob, because the swordsman's face here is really good. It's it, it's almost like it could be the new Robert Redford nodding meme. Yeah, yeah, I can see it. 
Yeah, I mean, this guy's this guy has made a, a fabulous and violent introduction. Uh, he looks really cool, I have to say. He's dressed all in black with some gold and a little bit of red. So, yeah, he looks fierce. And now he's just sitting down, casually having a bun, and uh, he's like, hey, yeah, you're all right. Here, have a bun, too. He has a profound jaw. It's possibly because he has part of a bun in his mouth uh, in this shot. <laughs> but as soon as the swordsman walks away, Ling spits out his bun all over the place, and he scrambles in fear and gets stuck in the mud as he's trying mm. to flee. Um, but uh, next we come to Ling's arrival in town and there are a number of things to discuss here because he'll return to town several times and, uh, and there are these running jokes. I think one is sort of the, the Keystone cops. So there are, uh, police or soldiers in town who are, they are trying to catch criminals. I think because there are bounties for criminals, mm -hmm. but what this turns into is, Anytime they hear somebody say, like, don't go or don't run or mm -hmm. don't leave, they immediately start chasing and just grabbing people because they th they say anytime someone says don't go, that's because they're saying it to a thief who has stolen something. Yeah, and then here they come running in. They're like, who said that? Who said that? Go there. And they're yeah. chasing after them. And so one of the things that happens is these uh, these incompetent policemen, like, grab a poor poor Ling and they – they like shove him up against a wall and then they're looking at all of these uh, drawings of criminals on wanted posters and they're like, ah, he's not any of them. Uh, get rid of him. But as they shove him up against a wall, they press him against the, the front of a uh, stall of um, – I'm not sure what this profession would be, like an undertaker or a funeral arts master. Anyway, somehow Ling gets pressed against a wall covered in um, joss paper or money for the dead, some kind of funerary uh, – uh, printed material. Yeah, paper talismans, ceiling spells, that sort of thing. Uh, these, of course, were also featured in, or, or, or very similar uh, talismans were featured in Mr. Vampire as being mm. something that you could use to sort of deactivate a vampire, to deactivate a Jiangxi. Right, yeah, you'd put the kind of like yellow receipt on their forehead and mm -hmm. they would power down. But yeah, he's been pressed up against them. So initially, he has them stuck to his back. And later on, once they've been peeled away, they've still stained the, um, the text onto the back of his shirt. So his back now has warding magic power. That he's completely un 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 unaware of. <laughs> yeah. But like you mentioned earlier, when he goes to collect his debts, um, he oh, so he shows up at like a tavern and he's talking to the tavern owner. And he's like, hey, you know, it's time to pay up. And uh, the, the tavern owner says, why a different debt collector every time? And Ling is like, ah, the last one was murdered. And then the, the t by the way, it, this movie is just, t it takes place in a world where everybody is constantly getting murdered. Like basically half the characters that are encountered or mentioned at some point are murdered. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's a lawless land. Uh, but, but, uh, so the tavern owner then says to, uh, Ling, he says, well, since you're going to be murdered anyway, why don't you do me a favor and not collect the debt? Uh, and Ling's like, uh, don't make jokes. But <laughs> then when he opens up his account books, they're ruined because they got soaked, I think in the rain or maybe mm. when he got stuck in the mud, somehow they're all wet and now the records are destroyed. And when the tavern owner discovers this, he is overjoyed. He's like, uh, as there's no record in the accounts, that means I don't owe any money, which L Ling has no comeback to this. He's just like, oh man, yeah, that that's, uh, I've got nothing. That's how Fight Club ended, right? <laughs> I didn't think about that. Yeah. That's good. 
Um, so the poor scholar, he gets thrown out in the street. He can't do his debt collection. He has no money and not a friend in this world. So what's he going to do? Well, he starts asking around, is there anywhere I can sleep for free tonight? And one of the locals tells him, yeah, there's only one place around here where you can have free shelter. And that is the Lan Yuk Temple. And as soon as that word is uttered, uh, as soon as that name is uttered, all the locals are like, huh? And they all turn and (laughs) lean in. Uh, they, you know, they're, they're telling him, you're like, yeah, go through the woods with the killer wolves until you see a creepy looking temple and that'll be where you should sleep. <laughs> so at this point in the film, and I have to say it's very well paced, like there's not really a dull moment in the entire film, but at this point, you know, you're off to the races cause oh, yeah. you're, he's going to have to travel through haunted woods, get to inevitably haunted temple. And it's just going to be fireworks from, uh, from there on out. So he goes through the haunted woods. He gets menaced by wolves with yellow eyes. Uh, And then when he arrives at the temple, he happens to stumble into the middle of a brutal fight between two master swordsmen. Now, is one of them the guy who got the blood in Ling's mouth earlier? Yes. One of them is the the uh, strong-jawed, bun-eating swordsman from earlier. The other one is a new character who will turn out to be... uh, our, our, our Dallas superstar swordsman slash sorcerer, uh, Swordsman Yin. Right, Swordsman Yin Chikha, uh, who is, uh, again, also a former lawman. But this is an awesome fight scene. It's like yeah. dark and foggy and windy, and the, the, they're like flying around and flipping in and out of buildings and onto balconies. Uh, and, uh, and at one point, and like it seems pretty evenly matched, but then at one point, uh, the the swordsman we saw earlier sort of loses track of where the new guy is, and then the new guy like explodes out of a wall at him and seems <laughs> to get the better of him. Oh, but right when he does this, they're both standing there holding their swords out, and then right between them is Master Ling, like his head is between their two sword <laughs> tips. And the new swordsman, uh, uh, Swordsman Yin, says, uh, Brother Ha Hao, you've been fighting me for seven years and lost for seven years. Uh, and then we learn in their exchange that Swordsman Yin has been living for six months at the Lan Yuk Temple, and they taunt each other, but Swordsman Yin tells Brother Ha Hao that uh, by being overly concerned with worldly titles, with fame and glory as a swordsman, he actually let his skills go to seed, and that is why he is always beaten. He's too concerned with being seen as the best rather than actually being the best, and he's too hot-tempered. Mm. So they both got their swords pointed at each other. Master Ling's throat is right between them. And then Master Ling uh, is like, hey, why not be nice to each other? I think he literally (laughs) says that. And then he says, you have to know that the universe is infinite and true love lasts forever. (laughs) So he's got a good heart. Um, and eventually I think the other swordsman gets so annoyed that he just leaves Mm -hmm. and, uh, uh, Ling is accidentally, he's like standing on the swordsman's cloak as he's leaving and it rips part of it off. He tries to hand it to him. Uh, and the swordsman just yells at Ling. He says, go love it. <laughs> so that guy, uh, brother, ha Hao splits swordsman. Yin warns master Ling not to stay at the temple. Uh, that he, he sort but he warns him in a very, in a bunch of kind of, uh, ribald ways. Like he says, you know, if a tiger appears, you'll probably want to hide in my trousers. Mm-hmm. At one point Ling's like, why do you keep yelling at me? And he says, it's because I have bad breath and I want you to go away. Yeah. That's a great, great line too. But Ling doesn't listen. He has nowhere else to go. And so he picks a room in the temple to put down his things. Uh, now this goes into a sequence that is, uh, 
I guess it's followed up on at multiple points, but this is Master Lang and the Bark Zombies. And I loved this whole thing. Rob, do you want to describe what's going on here? Yeah, so we, we start getting these shots of what seems to be the attic of, um, of the temple or part of the temple complex here. And it has these desiccated corpses up there, uh, you know, perhaps past victims. Because uh, I believe the, the film opens up uh, even with a, a sequence where somebody is attacked um, uh, whilst being loved up in, uh, in, on grounds that look like this temple. Mm-hmm. And... Um, so uh, eventually we see these remains start to move around. Uh, and so, yeah, they are partially rendered with stop motion effects that definitely have a 90s tool video vibe to them. You know, like it's, <laughs> yes. it's not quite, you know, Harryhausen level, but it still looks really cool. Uh, and I, I loved every bit of it. Later on, they're also played, they're created via puppetry and also costumes. And at times, legitimately creepy. But it, it's a great... There's a great, uh, the great thing about this sequence is that uh, Ling is completely unaware of them. Um, they start off in the attic. They end up falling through into the basement. Um, at, time, at one point, Ling fall, partially falls through the basement, and his, uh, his, his rear end is down there, and they're, like, trying to grab his butt, and they tear <laughs> off part of his clothing. Um, and then he winds up in the basement later on, and they're creeping up on him. You think they're going to get him, uh, but then he opens some shutters, and the sunlight just melts them away, and he never knows they were there at all. It's yeah, it's it's very much the baby Herman cartoon at the beginning of Roger Rabbit. He's yeah. just bumbling <laughs> about and constantly in peril, but just evading them by accident. Yeah, so it's, it's really fun. And, and, and again, the, the bark zombies look incredible. Uh, I, I thought they were a lot of fun. Excellent bark zombies. But but meanwhile, while uh, he, he's doing all that, um, we learn about something that's going on at this temple, the plot of the seductive ghost ladies. So the yeah. forest around this temple is swarming with these beautiful ghost ladies, uh, who one of our main characters will be one of them. Uh, that seduce men and then suck out their life force and turn them into these screaming husks. And this happens to the other swordsman, the brother Ha Hao. Uh, he's like made a campfire and then a beautiful woman uh, uh, like shows up and she's like, oh, hey, and they start kissing. Oh, but she she unfortunately sucks out his life force and leaves him a shriveled, dry, dry corpse. Uh uh, when I watched this part with Rachel, she said that, uh, ooh, she, she diatomaceous earthed him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in the, in the original story by Pusong Ling, the, uh, the, the ghost woman will do one of two things. Either she will come up to you and ask if you want to make love. And then when you do so, she will, um, eventually poke a hole into your heel, I believe with some sort mm-hmm. of a, a spike, uh, so that your essence can be drained out of the hole. Or if you say no thank you to the lovemaking, she'll offer you um, what seems to be like a golden coin. And if you accept that, then you'll be overcome by the magic as well. So like one of the two vices will get you. It's a great time to eschew lust and greed in favor of gluttony. <laughs> oh, but we, we do uh, see some like magical implements of this kind in the scene because like um, – in the scene where the ghost woman is is seducing the swordsman, we see that she has a sort of uh, a magical ankle bracelet on that seems mm-hmm. to have charms hanging off of it. And then also when uh, swordsman Ha Hao 
is uh, is is lying there shriveled. He is discovered by Swordsman Yin, who's like, "Oh, look what they did to you!" But then he like wakes up as a corpse and starts attacking him, and uh, and Swordsman Yin is like, "Ah, oh, even in death, you attack me again!" And so he has to pull out a, a holy needle and plunge the needle into the into the corpse's eye, and that like shuts him down. These needles frequently are used against uh, uh, unholy spirits. Yeah, I love Swordsman Yen's arsenal here because, of course, he has his sword, his magic sword. Uh, but, yeah, he has these needles that can also be thrown uh, as projectiles. And I understand basically throwing implements like this uh, are used in, in different martial arts, uh, but not as effectively, clearly, as Swordsman Yen is using them here. Uh, he also has uh, several magical spells that he uses. He's, he's able to, he does this wonderful bit later on where he like cuts into his palm, does some sort of a symbol there, and then is able to like shoot out essentially like magic missiles and fireballs yeah. and the like, but uh, in a way that is super cool, especially within the confines of a, of a martial arts sequence. He also has a Sanskrit phrase that he says that's yeah. the opening line of a, of a book, uh, like a holy Sanskrit book. Mm-hmm. Though it's interesting because there's a scene later in the movie where uh, he's finally – he's sort of teaming up with the scholar and he's like, if you need to save yourself, you know, say a line from this book. And the scholar's like, but I can't read Sanskrit. And he says, well, just open your heart to the Buddha and the Buddha will tell you what to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just just be relaxed and, uh, and and you'll be able to do it. Um, and also ring this bell. Like he basically he ends up the, – the whole plot ends up being like I need to get this – this big bad that's responsible for all this. I need to get these ghosts. You're going to yeah. be the bait. But that's later on. So uh, before we get there, we have to actually get the love story, yeah. which is uh, – so Master Ling, uh, being afraid out in the forest, eventually encounters the ghost woman, uh, Nip Su Sin. And Su Sin is a vampiric ghost. So she's she's not just like wholly innocent. She is draining people's energy. She's seducing, you know, hapless dudes in the forest. They end up turned into a bark zombie. It's no good. Uh, and it seems like she's going to do the same thing to uh, Ling when they first meet. But Ling ultimately just turns out to be too nice a guy. Did you read it that way also? That yeah, like he's, yeah, yeah. He, he's like so sweet to her that she can't really do it. Yeah, it, it, it's kind of a fun twist from the original, because in the original story, she basically is like, hey, do you want to make love? And he's like, no, I would, I would never. And she's like, well, do you want this gold coin? And he's like, I'm not taking that kind of money from you know, someone hanging out in a, uh, you know, temple ruins. And she's like, okay. Um, but in this one, it's less, I mean, part of it is that he's, um, you know, he's moral and yeah. of good uh, moral fiber. But the other part, yeah, is that he's just a sweet guy. And as she is not, you know, herself completely a creature of evil like she herself is uh ensorcelled by another force that we'll discuss right. here like the part of her like recognizes that and so we do have room for like this legitimate believable love story to 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 blossom here uh, i think one of the, though it is funny one of the things that first indicates to her how kind he is is that he says to her, he's like, wow, you, you don't look so good. Do you need to go to a doctor? I think referring to the <laughs> fact that she's pale because she's yeah. dead. Yeah, it's like, you're really pale. And he's talking about her skin being cold and all this. Yeah, we need to get you some medical attention. <laughs> yeah, the script, it really feels punched up. Like they really, they really got in a lot of, a lot of uh, comedic jabs here in sequences like this. Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. 
Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. If you haven't heard of Visible, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon, just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. Having a one-line plan means you only need you to save. No estranged roommates, exes, cousins twice removed, or AI-powered humanoid robots needed. And because $25 a month really means $25 a month, you can call, text, stream, whatever, as much as you want without worrying about getting dinged at the end of the month. No hidden fees, no surprises. No, really. It's like the old saying goes, you can't judge a book by its cover, but you can judge a company by its name. So spread the word. Tell all your friends there's a wireless company out there with transparency in their name, and they're called Visible. Start saving on wireless today at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Today's episode is brought to you by eBay. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then, through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers... Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. 
So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Uh, but of course, at, at first, I think when, when Su Sen likes Master Ling, you know, she understands it as like a love that cannot be right. She, she, right. she's not uh, like, Oh, stay here and be with me forever. She's like, Oh, you know, this is bad for him. Yeah. And so a lot of it ends up being a situation where she's like, look, you don't need to be here when, uh, when my master shows up, when the others come, you need to get out of here. You need to leave these grounds. You're a good dude. You don't need to be here, but she doesn't seem to think that, that she has any kind of a future with him. Now, now we should be clear though, that when, Ling first meets her. He has no idea she's a ghost. He doesn't understand. He's not picking up on the clues. Yes. This is something he has to be convinced of. Uh, I think uh, Swordsman Yin tells him, he's like, no, no, no. Everybody, everybody at this temple is a ghost except me. <laughs> they're, they're all just ghosts. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's a scene where one of the other ghosts gets cut in half by, uh, by, by uh, Master Yin. And, uh, and he's like, you killed that woman, right? I mean, that was, that's the, 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 the long and short of it. And he's like, no, no, that was a ghost. I didn't kill anybody. So eventually uh, he learns the whole plot and we do too. So, so what is the whole magical hierarchy here? What's the org chart for the, the ghosts and demons at this temple? So basically we have this malicious uh, nature spirit, this tree demon or this uh, yaksha demon as it's described in the original story. Is this the, the figure they're calling the old dame? Yes, yeah. Which is this, um, you know, this, this this kind of royally dressed individual who shows up, um, and they they kind of speak simultaneously with like a um, like a gravelly uh, masculine voice, but also a, a, a feminine voice. They're kind mm-hmm. of one superimposed over the other, and uh, and this character is is ordering around both. Um, but both Suzanne, the uh, our, our our ghost love interest, but also some other female ghosts that are being used as uh, agents of seduction by this demon. So the demon's the one harvesting life energies and life forces, uh, but he's using these ghosts uh, to do it, or at least to lure them in to get them in a in a in, in a position to where uh, the, the the tree demon can uh, creep up on them uh, in vine or tongue form, as we later f- find out is the case and uh, sap their life force. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of creepy tree demon morphology later on, mm-hmm. especially when, when the all-tongue emerges. Um, but yeah, so we learn a lot of this in a, in a great sort of comedy scene where uh, Master Ling is, is visiting um, Tsusin when, like, the boss shows up, and he has to hide underneath the water in a wash basin yeah. uh, while, uh, while, the, while the, the demon is there and while the other ghosts are there. And they're all like talking about how uh, that Susin has been pledged in marriage to this horrible monster, the monster of Black Mountain. And I guess their marriage is coming up soon. It's like a week away or something. And so she's just trying to get him out of there so that they don't catch Ling in there and kill him. And there's a bunch of a bunch of this is played for comedy. Yeah, and also for uh, you know for the romantic angle. It's like, oh, we're yeah. both hiding in the same place at the same time, uh, and we're almost kissing that sort of thing. Well, she does kiss him. So at one point, she like hides him by leaning into the wash basin and then kisses yes. him <laughs> under the water. And he he's like, wow, geez. <laughs> Yeah, that's a key scene that is uh, that we revisit uh, later on with like a musical uh, motif. Yeah. So he, she is falling hard for this uh, this lonely scholar mortal, 
and he is falling hard for this female ghost, even though he doesn't know she's a ghost uh, at this point. Right, but he eventually discovers basically what's going on. Um, like the, there are a bunch of different things. Well, he doesn't discover it at this point, I think. But I remember there's one point where I think he like does some kind of like harm to her by like accidentally showing her his back, which is where all of the warding yes. magic was printed. Yeah, yeah, which she recoils from, you know, because it, these are holy scriptures and she cannot look upon them. But there's also a conflict because he's been kind of friendly-ish with Swordsman Yin. Um, uh, and Swordsman Yin is there. He's like, no, no, no. Ghosts are to be beheaded and and destroyed. Uh, and uh, and uh, this lady is no good. But then uh, Ling also becomes convinced that Swordsman Yin is a murderer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so he you know he's he's getting bounced back and forth between uh, between alliances. And at one point he ends up taken before a magistrate in this really funny scene where. Uh, where he's, I think he's trying to be like, Yin, he's a murderer. You've got to stop him. Uh, and the magistrate is just totally uninterested. Yeah, there's a great bit where where he calls in the guards and they're like, like, well, what's he talking about? They're like, no, no, we already we already uh, captured the guy on the warning poster. We already caught that guy. And then they're like, but of course we do catch the wrong guy like most of the time. So, yeah. <laughs> so they're like, all right, well, let's hear it out. But then there's a lot of discussion about, yeah, should we beat him first or accept a bribe first? Uh-huh. And then eventually it's like when they find out the ghosts are involved in it, they're like, oh, well, that's good. We don't have to weigh in on this. Uh, we can just leave early because we're tired of even pretending to work. Oh, oh before so, – okay, so we're barreling towards the end. But before we, we get to like some of the final confrontations, we, we need to take a moment to discuss the Dow rap. Oh, my goodness. It's so good. Um yeah, I almost want to include uh, a sample from it here because whatever you're imagining can't quite equal what you get. There's one part where the subtitle, at least, of what he's uh, rapping is, I spit, I spit, I spit, yes. I spit. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Um, yeah, and he's the whole time yeah, he's going through these different martial arts routines, too. So it's yeah. like he's really getting you know revved up for battle. Uh, oh, it's it's you have to see it to believe it. And of course, we, we could play part of the audio, but you wouldn't have the subtitles, so you wouldn't get the full experience and you wouldn't get to see him moving around. So uh, it has to be seen. Okay, but eventually, so we're skipping lightly about uh, over much that happens in the middle of the film, but eventually it's going to progress toward a big showdown. Uh, with the demons, because we learn the backstory of Susan. What what is going on with her? Why has she been uh, uh, why has she been trapped in this cycle of of seducing men in the forest or at the temple so that their their life force can be sucked out? Uh, and basically, what we discover is that Susan was murdered many years ago while traveling. Once she was mo- when she was mortal. And uh, her father gave her a temporary burial under an old tree in the forest. But then he was murdered before he could uh, move her bones to holier ground. So now nobody else knows she's there, so she's stuck there. And her spirit is trapped in servitude to the demon that lives within the tree. I think this is the old dame. And now the old dame is her boss. The old dame makes her seduce men so that she can kill them, steal their energy. And uh, Susan has been pledged to marry against her will the old monster of Black Mountain. And the only way she can escape from being a ghost and finally be reincarnated again is if someone digs up her ashes and her bones and takes them to her village to be reburied there. And it's interesting how this is a recurring theme in a lot of the... um, 
the Chinese horror comedy uh, martial arts movies we've watched because uh, proper and improper burial was was also a major theme of Mr. Vampire. Yeah, yeah. The the idea and really tied up with the idea of the of the Chinese vampire, the Jiangxi, is the the idea that, that this person was not properly buried. Their spirit is not at rest. And the only way to, to really defeat them is to make sure they are they are moved to a place of proper rest. And that's that's the case here as well. But of course you can't just dig up her bones and, and get away with it because there's a demon involved here. Um it, oh man, and uh, and so you get a in the the movie version here you get a big throwdown between the demon and our heroes, and the, the I was totally surprised by the form. I was expecting you know it's a tree demon right, so it's going to be some sort of a ant like creature, but no, uh, the true form or at least one of the true forms is revealed as being this just this endless tongue, this all tongue as you described it. Yeah, I was thinking about uh, the doors that ride the tongue. The tongue is long, seven miles. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's it's just like this gigantic tongue that wraps all the way around the temple and can like wrap around people. So, so it's like a giant, you know, octopus arm basically, and and it has like multiple tongues within the tongue. Yeah, and I it's it's kind of like it has a beginning because it does shoot out of the human form. Uh, of the of the of the dame's mouth at one point, but then in another mm-hmm. scene, the dame just becomes the tongue. So yes. it's it's almost like there is no beginning uh, to the tongue. It is just this endless tongue that's just lashing about uh, throughout this entire action sequence. And there's like a tongue versus mouth mechanic because the tongue will try to grab people and then go into their mouths. And yeah. so like Swordsman Jin is yelling at, at Ling. He's like, be careful. Don't let her tongue enter your mouth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they're they're trying to fight it off. And the uh, and, uh, Yin eventually ends up like chopping off pieces of the tongue to prevent them from, from uh, getting in people's mouths. Yeah, there's a, there are a number of sequences in which people get wrapped up in tongue or later on wrapped up in tentacles. And yeah. uh, and then usually Swordsman Yen has to jump in with his uh, sword and slash through those tentacles and splash goo all over the place. Oh, there's so much goo later on. Uh, yeah. Well, there's so much goo in general, but uh, there's there's goo, there's slime. And then we get to see Swordsman uh, Yen's arsenal again. So he uses his holy needles. Uh, in fact, uh, Ling has to come through in the pinch because Yen gets grabbed up and Ling has to get the, the needle and come save him. And at one point he accidentally stabs him in the butt. <laughs> right in the butt. Yeah. yeah. And then Yen has to, has to pull the needle out of his own butt and then use it to stab the, yeah. the demon. It's great. Yeah. But they do eventually defeat the old dame. Yeah, we see some sort of a final form. It's just this monstrous amalgam of like tentacles and plant and, I don't know, alligator and human face. Uh, You know, it's a real monstrosity, uh, but they are able to defeat it. Unfortunately, Susan is dragged away into the underworld. Yep. And so in the very last act, the coda, the final confrontation, it's not our world anymore, buddy. You got to go into the underworld to save the princess. That's right. And it's, I, I really like the way they created this underworld uh, uh, sequence because it's, uh, it's a lot what you might expect. In a dark realm, there's, there's mist and smoke. Uh, there are like hands grasping out of nowhere. There are disembodied heads. There are mountains of skulls. And of course, we encounter uh, the, uh, the dark individual who Susan is betrothed to. Right, this is the monster of Black Mountain, and oh man, how this guy's really cool. How would you describe him? Just kind of like imagine a a gloomy dark lord uh, in armor, and that's basically yeah. what you've got here. 
I could say maybe uh, a, a point of reference for, for the young folks these days, Elden Ring boss. He's got Elden Ring boss vibes. Oh yeah. 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 Like, yeah. Kind of like, kind of like the outline of a, of an armored individual. Right. But then they're, yeah. they're increasingly more monstrous elements. The, the deeper you dig into that. Right. One of the big things, in fact, one of my favorite images or effects in the entire movie was when like his cloak is peeled open and his entire form is made of faces. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a pile of, of disembodied heads or faces in there. Yeah. And they're all screaming. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Really good. Uh, And their arms arms coming out of the walls, like the underworld sequence is just great. Uh, And they're great heroic moments for our characters. There's a, there's a wonderful part where like Susan is, uh, flying through the air with a sword in her hand and yeah um yeah it's 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 really cool and we get a nice climax where like tentacles are lashing out uh the the dark lord here has wrapped everyone up uh the 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 tentacles are holding our hero up and they're starting to rip his clothes apart and will probably soon start ripping his flesh apart but then we remember what does he have underneath his, his his cloak underneath his robes he has that holy sutra which um, immediately, its mere presence uh, starts, uh, you know, incinerating uh, the villain here. It's red hot. It's so good. <laughs> and, oh, there, there's a detail I forgot that I really liked, though, um, that when uh, Swordsman Yin and Master Ling first arrive in the underworld, they're sort of able to walk amongst the dead w- without being disturbed at first because uh, Swordsman Yin says, uh, when ghosts are in the mortal world, they're invisible to us. But when mortals are in the ghost world, we're invisible to them. Yeah. Oh, but in the end, uh, we, we do get a happy ending. They are able to all make it out of the underworld and, uh, and they do, and they are able to relocate, uh, the, the mortal remains of, of Su Sen. And so it, it's, it's pretty much a happy ending and, and it makes you think like, are there more adventures to come? Well, they say, they basically say like, let's go on adventures now. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and clearly they do. There are two more films in the in the series at least. Um, so uh, yeah, I'm I'm interested to eventually check out the next one. Uh, and there's again, I have to drive on. There's so many sequences we didn't even mention here that are yeah. so well executed. There's not really a dull moment in the film. It's a very well paced. Uh, so it's it's a lot of fun. I highly recommend it. Totally agree. This this one's really a highlight. Chinese ghost story. It's beautiful. It's truly weird. It's it's up there with the best. And again, this is a this is a big picture. This was a this has been a been a very successful film. It's generated a cult following uh, around the world. Uh, it's been remade, as I mentioned earlier. But also the story about the magic sword or the magic sword and the magic bag. Uh, this was ad- adapted at least a couple of other times: 1969's The Magic Sword and 1960's The Enchanting Shadow, which I've read was also kind of an inspiration for this film. So. Um, uh, there are probably some other movies out there that you'll find that have some of the basic elements, you know, traveling scholar, spending the night in a temple, falling in love with a ghost. Uh, it's a, it's a winning formula. Now, since this is a major motion picture, yeah, there, it's been out in various formats over the years. So you want to watch it on VHS, you can find a copy somewhere. DVD, it's out there. There are Blu-rays. I can't really speak for the various regions and so forth. Laserdisc? Uh, Probably, probably on Laserdisc. <laughs> Go for it. Um, but uh, we, we watched it streaming on Prime, and as of this recording, it is f- streaming on Prime in the States, and it may be streaming some other places as well. Two tongues up. 
<laughs> yeah, this this one was a lot of fun. We'd love to hear from anyone out there who uh, who is also a fan of this film, or have if you have experiences with this film, uh, or if there are any other films in the same genre uh, that you think uh, we should be aware of or should cover in the future. Let us know. We'd love to hear from you. In the meantime, if you want to check out other episodes of Weird House Cinema, it publishes every Friday in the Stuff to Blow Your Mind podcast feed. We are primarily a science podcast, but on Fridays we set aside most serious concerns and we just talk about a strange film. Um, let's see, if you want to follow everything that we're doing here, let's see, uh, over at samutamusic.com I do blog posts about each film and if there's additional uh, information, additional media I'll embed that there. We also have a letterboxed page if you just look up uh, uh, Weird House on there, you'll find us. You can follow there and we just have all the movies listed that we've covered. Uh, so if you just want a, like a, a single visual layout of the films we've covered on Weird House Cinema, you will find them there. Huge thanks as always to our excellent audio producer Seth Nicholas Johnson. If you would like to get in touch with us with feedback on this episode or any other two suggest a topic for the future or just to say hello you can email us at contact at stuff to blow your mind.com stuff to blow your mind is a production of iHeartRadio. for more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite shows today's episode is brought to you by visible the future of wireless is here, and it's transparent. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. Just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees, no surprises, no, really. What are you waiting for? Get with the times and switch to Visible at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.